This is Raptors Shootaround. It's on to the finals. Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Yes, guy. You know, I have to say, that's kind of a lame version of Yes Guy. I mean, that was ripped off from something that was unrelated to the broadcast. I mean, let, let's get let's get a new one, Rad. Maybe you could record this. Oh, Yes Guy. Welcome aboard for a Tuesday. Blah, 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 boo. Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca, here until noon, then Leafs Lunch with Andy Petrillo. And we're going to talk about Set the Table for Game 3, which airs right here on TSN 1050 on tomorrow night. Wednesday night, tomorrow night, pregame at 7, game from 9 to approximately 11.30, postgame follows, and wall-to-wall coverage. Uh, this thing is growing. I mean, this is like watching some sort of a life form uh, spring to life and then just right, ricochet right across the country. So this comes from NBA, NBA.com. One of our contacts there sent me this email, and obviously it's a mass email. It just didn't come to be. 10.6 million people in Canada watched all or part of Game 2 of the 2019 NBA Finals between the Toronto Raptors and Golden State Warriors across simulcast coverage on TSN, CTV2, and RDS. Game delivered a combined average audience of 4.3 million viewers, making it the country's most watched NBA game ever. Through two games, 35% of the Canadian population has watched all or part of the 2019 NBA Finals. And so there's a couple of things that just uh, grow here. And obviously those numbers at 4.3, I can remember during a regular season situation where it would have been hundreds of thousands under a half million. Uh, Record set in Game uh, 6, 3.1. Game 1, 3.3. And now we're up to 4.3. It's like watching the 50-50 draw grow, uh, which went from 61,000 early in the playoffs to an unbelievable 491,000 on Sunday night's 50-50 draw. Can't wait for Game 7. That is phenomenal growth, not only for the person who wins the 491K, but for the rights holders. I mean, those numbers, those viewing numbers are really huge. Uh, We have a lot of guests on the broadcast today. Coming up very shortly, Dwayne Watson. Uh, Later on, Eric Macromella, the uh, legal eagle here, as he goes over the, the, the copyright thing. Oh, I can't wait to talk copyright live here on TSN 1050. And so he's going to talk about uh, Kawhi Leonard's shoe, the claw in the shoe, the Nike versus New Balance fight, and we'll go through all that. Rod Black will be by at 1040. Uh, 11 o'clock, the long-awaited debut of Yes Guy, No Guy and Raptors Shootaround. And we have to alter it because Arad's never played it before. So, you know, we have to do the, uh, the uh, I guess, the uh, introductory model. We won't go, we won't go O-Dog level here with that. But nonetheless, you all right, Arad? It's the rookie, st- uh, rookie scale. Yes, guy, no guy. Well, oh, if you say so. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Later on, Dave Festcheck from the Toronto Star, and we've got some other sound that we're going to spin around at 11.20 as well. Uh, so we'll move along. Dwayne Watson is here uh, live from Oakland. He's probably staying in San Francisco. Dwayne, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm actually in San Francisco, sir. I, I need to see if I can hang around for this Yes Guy, No Guy shoot around premiere. That's right. You want to come back? <laughs> no, nah, I, I, I need to get his shots in. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a double take. That was a that was an unforced error, a turnover. Uh, <laughs> so you know, here's what I did, Dwayne, and you know me. I just go over and over stuff. I appeared on uh, 690 TSN show in Montreal yesterday around six o'clock, and after I had finished with Mitch Melnick, I, I thought to myself, "Wow, I've talked about this so much that I've reduced the game to one thing. It's it's the 18-0 run at the start of the second yeah. half, and and what I did with that was because I've talked about it so many times. I went, oh. So you're the best team in the world, and you needed an 18-0 run to win this game. That's not going to happen again, is it? Well, I mean, one thing about this Warriors team we know is that they can score in bunches. I mean, the way well, they, they can. move the ball, 
yeah, the way they shoot the ball. And, and the thing is, the Raptors have to be able to, you know, slow them down, but also make shots on their end. I mean, we could talk about the Warriors' ability to score and the Raptors' defense lacking, but, you know, they weren't able to shoot the ball well, too. So that, that, that combination is, is really challenging for this team. But they can do that kind of, even in game one, we watched you and I, we're like, hey, this can happen at any time. And the Raptors responded to all the runs, but they can't let a sizable run like that happen. But you're right, though. The, the shining grace of it all is that the Raptors still had a shot at the end despite an 18-0 run, which kind of really took the air out of the Scotiabank Arena. And, and having said that, I've reduced the 18-0 run even further, which is a dangerous thing to do. Uh, now I could say, oh, you needed an 18-0 run to win the game. <laughs> you just won the game, and it came as the result of you know five straight Raptor wins in a good first half. They were due for the letdown, and that's what you came up with. Yeah, that's fair. The Raptors were definitely on a five-game streak, but I think um, I like your optimism. <laughs> I just think there is a cause for concern that if these kind of opportunities happen, and I mean, you know, there was... Like you, as you said, it's a constantly evolving, and you know the things that were issues in Game One were actually issues in Game Two. Blake um, Cousins, someone who we thought wouldn't be much of a factor after seeing him, you know, kind of just coming off of injury in Game One, you know, had you know a double double with six assists, and you know he he threw his weight around. He was a bit of a problem. So you know, there's always it's evolving, changing issues that we see. Um, Kyle Lowry didn't have a great game, but Fred VanVleet helped off the bench. But I think the Raptors' ability to kind of find a way to continue to step up, even though. Like, Kawhi and Kyle still really haven't had their prime form yet this series, which is a positive, but the Warriors are throwing a number of things at them to kind of keep them off their game. And, and you know me, I like to do a CSI in the box score, and, and some of these things, one creates the other. So if you have seven turnovers in a quarter, then guess what? Your shooting percentage probably isn't going to be good because you're going to be in an awful position. In the third quarter, they shot 31.8% in the fourth, only 26. And, and it seems to me that we could always go back to the Raptors in a, in a negative situation and say, you just need to drop more shots. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. And, you know, like, we look at those numbers, which are bad, and we look at things that they normally don't do, like rebound the ball. They did rebound the, rebound the Warriors 49 42. Now they're off the glass, but that's also because they missed a lot more shots. So, um, you know, they got to make the, the easy ones. It's, you know, a guy like Danny Green hits a clutch three, but Raptors have to get better looks offensively. I mean, and if you look at the assist numbers, too, I mean, we know how well the Warriors moved the ball. They had 34 assists on 38 field goals. The Raptors had 17. So, the Warriors are able to move the ball to get the shots they want. And the Raptors are challenged more to try to create this opportunity that may not be there sometimes, and that's why they're shooting a poor clip. And another typical Raptors assessment would be after a loss, and you and I have said this uh, a lot of times, certainly in the playoff run, they need more from, from other people. You know, Obviously, it got reduced to uh, Kawhi Leonard really saving their bacon. Uh, Pascal Siakam was canceled out, and he has to respond. So I, I don't know exactly how they're going to free him up, but he has to change, doesn't he? Yeah, Pascal Siakam has been, you know, and he's, he's faced adversity throughout the playoffs, and I think everyone's always kind of, or at least the, the, the critics are thinking that, you know, this is sustainable, and he's found a way to make his game work for him. And I think they're trying to throw different things at him, and he's got to take advantage of different defenders, but he is a key for this Raptors team. I mean, he's the second offensive weapon on this team, and I think you need to know yet more from him, whether he's creating art in transition, which is something they really do in the fast break. But um, they're kind of also countering his moves. They know he has the, the spin. They know he likes to drive to the cup. So they're trying to really – they're scheming on him defensively well. And Draymond Green had a lot of pride in the line after game one where he said he was the best defender in the league. And Pascal torched him. When he got those matchups, he made sure that Pascal wasn't able to get what he did. What he needed. And how, how would we get more out of Kyle Lowry? Yeah, well, the foul trouble doesn't help. I yeah. mean, that's <laughs> first and foremost, I think. You know, and, and his shots just didn't seem to be dropping. And he's playing. He played well leading up to this point, but 
I think Kyle is a guy who always finds ways to bounce back, and I think he always finds ways to affect the game. But, you know, these Curry and the Warriors are crafty in terms of what they throw at you and how you got to just play them defensively. And I think, you know, there's sometimes where Kyle just had to, not that he's not playing smart, but he just has to play a little harder and, and smarter with, with what he's facing. And I think, you know, the shot has to drop. I don't know if this thumb is, you know, still presenting an issue. I saw him walking off the plane with a little oven mitt on, I guess, keeping his, his thumb circulating. So um, it doesn't matter. It's the playoffs. Everyone's got to play through it. You know, the Warriors have a fair share of injuries on their end. But uh, Kyle's got to rise up with what you know he can do. I'd like to explore the foul trouble. I mean, over the first two games, that's been an issue for the Raptors. And, and I, I'm going to throw a hockey analysis in. My apologies to the basketball fans. But in a hockey situation, a championship game, if you're taking a lot of penalties, it's because you, you're not you're not in the same speed as the other team and you're trying to slow them down. Is this the Raptors trying to counter the, the fast ball movement of, of the Warriors? Um, I think it's a bit of it. I also feel that... You know me, I'm never one to um, complain about the officials, but I did feel that, especially at the start of the game, oh. the Warriors were playing a really physical style of play. Yeah. And the Raptors weren't getting the calls, but I think what happens is, and you know, in any sport, if someone is consistently playing physically, the refs can't call everything. Right. So then they continue to kind of get, allowed with, get away with it. I, I thought that you know, that was a good strategy on the Warriors' part, but... The Raptors kind of, you know, like, I didn't think they were getting some calls. I'm not saying the rest had it out for them because we know that they missed that travel with creating the game. But I thought that the Warriors did a good job against them physically. I think it took lots of them. And sometimes the Raptors react or try and mask that. And then the calls aren't going their way. But they're really trying to slow these guys down. especially in transition. And I think they have to play so high and hard on Curry and Clay that they're always kind of recovering to a double team. So that's the nature of what Steve Kerr and the Warriors want you to do. They want you to kind of scramble a bit in terms of how you have to defend them and I think that presents problems. And Cousins was a big offender in the early stages of that game. He wound up with five fouls and, and they sort of figured out what he was up to but he, this guy is, uh, as I said yesterday, covers a lot of square footage on the floor. He's hard he, to deal with. Yeah, he, he's a bruiser. I mean, yeah. he goes out there he only got called for five but we know there was more well, than was five probably fouls. Probably ten, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then even coming off the screens when he sets those screens, he's a tough guy to get around. He's a big body. So, I mean, the thing is, his thing I thought was really big for this team. I mean, he was good on the rebounds, but, you know, when he can watch the offense and see and six assists and find the open guys, that's another problem where you have another guy on the floor who can set up. You know Curry and Claire are going to shoot, and Draymond is a guy who really likes to pull the offense. But you got a guy like DeMarcus who's a good player who can also help and add that wrinkle. Um, that poses a challenge. So I think, you know, you got to kind of work him. You've got to tire him out. You've got to lean on him because, you know, he's just getting the feedback. You want to kind of take him out of the things that he's comfortable doing. Uh, I guess everybody's going to be waiting today to figure out. I don't know if the Warriors are going to tip their hand if they're going to hold it till game time tomorrow night, but there are some walking wounded there, and it could be as many as three or four, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Clay Thompson, they're saying he's questionable and he's going to try it over a couple of days. He's already said he's going to try and play. I believe it's the playoffs. I mean, I think that, I mean, I kind of feel like it's the playoffs. You know, if, if it was a playoffs, they'd be playing. I think he's going to try and play. Depends on how much he's going to hamper his play because he's a guy who, you know, racks up a lot of kilometers on the court. He's running around, coming off screens, um, doing a lot of work. So if his mobility is an issue, you know, I'm sure he'll test it. And if it's not looking good, they'll see. Kevon Looney, they're saying, is out for the series. So, you know, but the, the, the thing is that despite the fact that the Warriors have so many injuries, they've had other guys step up in key times. And we saw, you know, Quinn Cook hit those big threes. Bulger got a couple of so the Raptors have to little, limit the opportunities for these smaller guys to show up because that, those are really the guys that really hurt this team as well.
Yeah, and KD is, uh, we don't know. I wouldn't expect him tomorrow night, but but who knows. And Iguodala is one of those grinder guys who plays hurt. Yeah, I know. But, you know, we saw him play hurt, and he made that clutch shot to close the game. And I think, you know, this is a guy who was a finals MVP, so he's been there. Um, he's been around, and I think, you know, I think everyone realizes that they kind of have to, this Raptors team isn't going to be a cakewalk. So they're going to have to kind of suck it up and walk through this stuff. But they're also coming back home, which plays to their advantage, and they've got their hometown crowd, and they've done this a number of times. But the Raptors kind of have to bounce back, and I think we know they need to steal one in, in Oakland to kind of make sure the series comes back home even so they can regain home court advantage. But you know, it was really interesting in terms of flying down. Um, Stephen A. Smith, Max Thomas from ESPN, and Jalen Rose were on my flight. And, you know, it's kind of really impressive how, you know, we had the All-Star in Toronto, and everyone's complaining how cold it was, but, you know, having, you know, our team play and, you know, the world seeing, you know, how good this team is, how strong this country's fan base is. You talked about the numbers previously. They saw how much of a basketball country this, 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 this you know, Canada has become and how the city and team supports the Raptors. And it was kind of, that was a really big process for those guys, just what they saw when they were there. Yeah, I like how you said that. Um, just moving forward with OG, how, how do you see them uh, moving him into the lineup? Yeah, it's going to be, I think, you know, it's going to be not, It's going to be tough because you don't know kind of where he's at. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you know, he's been working on his conditioning. He's going to be good. But, you know, which matchups do you see him in? Because I think they're going to kind of play it by ear. I mean, Norm Powell is a guy who, you know, was getting, is, is getting minutes too. And now with OG, you're going to have, you know, you have Powell, Abaka, and Van Vliet. What is OG saying? Are you going to go nine deep? You know, and I think I think he's a good big body to have off the bench for these guys because he's going to back up power forward to Pascal. But um, I think he's got to find his way. I think more importantly, he's got to defend. He's got to help. He's got to move and defend because they have to slow down this Warriors team. I still haven't changed my opinion. I think the secret to success for the Raptors is they have to always be leading the way on the scoreboard and in the series. It could be tied, but I don't. I don't see them in a rally position. Do you? I think rallying, we've seen them rallying the playoffs so far this season and they'd be strong. This is a tough team to rally against because they can score so quickly and so effectively. So you're right. I'd rather be up with these guys than down because those are big holes to come out of. We saw it, you know, in the third quarter, they couldn't really get out of that hole after that run happened. And you don't want to, it's just so quick and so furious that it's, you're, it's almost like a blitzkrieg and you're left stunned. So you want to be able to kind of make sure you're in, at pace with these guys or up and also being able to just like get those stops when needed. We've seen this throughout this team lock down defense when they need to, and I think they can. They just got, they have to be up. This is where you can't take lightly. Dwayne, thanks very much. We'll chat in the pregame tomorrow night. All right, Jimmer. Thank you. Dwayne Watson. At Dwayne Watson is the Twitter account. Coming up next, we're going to talk about that uh, pending lawsuit, Kawhi Leonard and Nike, and it has to do with the claw on his shoe and copyright and trademark and all that kind of neat stuff. Eric Macromella, our legal eagle at Eric on Sports Law is the Twitter account will be our guest. Next, you're listening to Raptors Shoot Around. TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Oh, WS guy, Raptors Shoot Around continues. TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Toronto Star, according to tsn.ca, Kawhi Leonard filed a federal lawsuit against Nike on Monday saying the footwear and apparel giant is blocking him from using a logo that he believes he owns. Hmm. Well, that requires legal expertise. Eric Macromella is here. Eric, how are you, sir? Jim, what a pleasure it is to be on with the great Jim Taddy. It has been a while. You and I have been doing these hits together for almost 10 years now. That's right. great to hear from you. Yeah, I wonder who owns the copyright. Oh, I think I know that one. (laughs) 
so I mean, the guy. So here, let's just, let's go back to the basic premise. You design yeah. something, you allow somebody to use it in certain situations. You leave that company. You're endorsed by somebody else. Where does the ownership lie? Yeah, let's make it even simpler than that because you know you're in a business where you create artistic works every day but you don't own the copyright because you're an employee, I suspect, of Bell Media. The way it works with copyright is like this. The person that creates what we call the work, so whatever it is, a painting, a logo, a song, whoever creates it, owns it by default. And you don't need to file a copyright registration, you own it. Unless you're employed by someone who's asked you to do that, so when you create it, your employer owns it. So again, if you create it, it's yours unless you're an employee, in which case your employer owns it. Okay, I have so to, this, I gotta yeah. jump in. So so if you own something or if you created something before you got to a certain situation and you used it in the new situation, you would actually still own it, right? Yes, but it, let you. me even add to that. Thank you, if, counselor. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, Kawhi and Nike get together and they say, hey, let's design, uh, I want to sort of market a Kawhi logo, so Kawhi sits down and drafts his logo, okay? Yep. For the purpose of that business relationship. He's not an employee of Nike. That means he owns the copyright in that logo. The only way Nike owns it is if Kawhi Leonard transfers the rights to that to Nike. Oh, I Because he's not a Nike employee, by default, Kawhi Leonard, as I call him on my show, Kawhi, you leaving. Kawhi, you leaving. Yes. owns the copyright and the logo. So this is kind of a no-brainer from from how you've described it, and, and from the copy I'm reading on TSN.ca. There's there's a, a clear path here of, of how this happened, and somebody just jumped to the front and tried to register it without uh, asking permission. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, the, those are the facts that are being provided, and yeah. Kawhi, uh, you leaving his campus, filed a lawsuit in California court. Um, you know, so that's one side of the story. Um, this is going to turn on whether Nike acquired those copyright rights from Kawhi Leonard. And if they didn't, then Kawhi will own it. So, and he's filed two trademark register or two applications that have since issued two registrations, which means he has two trademark registrations for that logo. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. That suggests to me, maybe Nike was okay with that or didn't notice but bottom line here, Nike's going to need to show the rights were transferred over. And if they weren't, then Kawhi leaving can walk away with it. Well, it seems like a pretty simple case if everything is presented properly, right? Yes, yeah, simple. But we don't want to make it simple because that doesn't pay our mortgages as lawyers. So let's make it really complicated. <laughs> okay, Jim? Yes. If, if I am to afford a villa in Tuscany... <laughs> Things must be inherently complicated. Oh, what is wrong with you? No, by all means, yeah. <laughs> billable hours, away, away we go. <laughs> I, I, I can just see it now. Somebody's going to ask a question, and boom, there goes another six months. <laughs> well, what about this possibility? Oh, boy, that's going to take a lot of research. Oh, that is that is inherently complicated. I'm so glad that I went to law school. I'm going to have to spend three months on this. And let me tell you something. Get a second mortgage because this ain't going to be cheap. <laughs> and the retainer. Anyway, we'll just leave that stuff alone. But this seems, you know, again, we're, we're going on, on what's reported and, and what apparently is in, is in yes. Kawhi's, uh, I don't want to say allegations, but in his presentation. Uh, but it, it just seems like, it, I don't know why Nike would do this. 
Yeah, again, you know, we don't have all the facts. We have one side of the story. We know, for example, if your buddy is in a relationship and the relationship comes to an end, there's a divorce, for example, we often get just one side of the story. What I find fascinating here, Jim, is the timing of the lawsuit, right? Yeah. The timing lawsuit, while Kawhi is in the NBA final, he's a guy that loves, that just wants to focus on the task at hand. You ask him any question, the right. response is the same. It's today and it's about the team. And so this, the time of the lawsuit is interesting because the, the lawsuit is an individual endeavor or effort that could serve to distract. So I wonder if Kawhi Leaving's lawyers are filing it now because they recognize that Kawhi's goodwill and reputation is at an all-time high. But even that, I don't see that being relevant because this simply turns on the merits of the case. It's one thing to sue, and everyone talks about it. But these lawsuits go on for months and years and years. And so we often make a lot about timing of lawsuits and trying to garner, you know, public, uh, you know, gain some public sort of traction to gain public, uh, you know, approval, and those kinds of things. But ultimately, once the dust settles, Jim, it doesn't really matter that much. So I just find that timing here interesting. And I don't know if I would have filed this while Kawhi is in the NBA finals headed to game three. Well, I mean, it could be coincidental. It could be you're, you're aware that uh, Nike wants to move ahead with stuff, or or maybe he wanted to move ahead stuff based on success in the final, and, and uh, because it's now in a gray area and, and open to battle, you can't do it. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point. I'm glad you raised that. From from a legal standpoint, waiting another week or two when the final is done isn't really going to prejudice his position based upon the information that we have because he's saying that Nike has already misappropriated or taken the logo for themselves. Whether, whether he files today or when the finals are done in 10 days or whenever it is, I don't think it's really going to affect him. So again, I just kind of wonder, this kind of seems counter to Kawhi Leonard's personality, which the focus has often been on no distractions. Oh, I mean, that's how he presents himself, and there's no, really no reason to, to doubt that it's anything but totally sincere. But, I mean, maybe this is Team Kawhi that decided to do this, and he just uh, is sort of a bystander. Totally. And you know the thing I think we all love about Kawhi is that he's apparently, I think, the only NBA superstar that has, like, a hockey player's personality. Like, this is a guy <laughs> well that said. people love, right? Yeah. Because he's so deferential and modest, and you actually believe it, and then you see this lawsuit and you say, okay, that's not consistent or aligned with how we see him. Although I don't think it's a big deal by any means at all at all. I just found it interesting. Well, I like know, everyone else. I, I love him. Yeah, same here. I, I just, I, I, it's hard for me to be critical of somebody who files a lawsuit to protect their own intellectual property. Absolutely. And I, being uh, an intellectual property lawyer, I totally agree with you. I guess I would add, though, you know, oftentimes when we work with clients, and I work for all kinds of big brand owners, um, we often do the best we can to avoid a lawsuit becoming a distraction or becoming newsworthy. And for it to be filed during the NBA finals, um, when the entire country is watching, um, that pretty much guarantees it's going to be something that is talked about, potentially a distraction. And so you wonder, perhaps, perhaps, I'm just theorizing, as to the wisdom of the timing of the lawsuit. So again, I'm going to strip away all the, all the names and, and, uh, and just do a, a basic premise. 
And so if, if you own something or design something and had a, a, a deal with a company uh, that allowed some use of it, I mean, it, it, what, what trumps what? Is it the fact that you brought this to the table or is it the wording in the endorsement contract that would trump everything? So there has so uh, the sort of the starting point is Kawhi creates it. He owns it. He can then license that out or let Nike use it for whatever it wants, like to put it on clothing and basketballs and those kinds of things. But unless that agreement contains a specific provision that says that Kawhi is actually giving up all rights to the logo and assigning it over, it's still his. That's the bottom line. So he can have an endorsement deal, a licensing deal, a deal with Nike, and Nike can use the logo in any way that it wants. But that still doesn't mean they've acquired the logo. It still belongs to Kawhi leaving unless he's expressly transferred over his copyright to Nike. Full stop. You know, as you were describing that, I was thinking of a, a building code, and, I, and I'm going to use a, a builder's term that, that sort of um, gets around things or, or allows things to continue as they were, and that is pre-existing or existing so that was existing that item existed before he signed with nike so that's his yes and i would even add that's a great point i would even add if they signed and then after they signed he created the logo he still owns it because the copyright rule is unchanged if you created it it's yours unless you're an employee of the company in which case the employer will own it and nike isn't his employer uh, Kawhi is just a third party that entered into agreement with Nike. doesn't matter when he created a logo, he owns it unless he's transferred it over. And that really is the bottom line. Okay, so now I'm going to throw another curveball at you. You are not an employee of the company. You have some intellectual property. You then become an employee of the company, uh, the intellectual property that you had before you're going to use again, and then you cease to be an employee of the company. Who owns what? If you created that logo, for, like that logo, for example, and you created it before you were an employee, and then they hire you as an employee, you still own it. Because the test is, when you created it, what were you? And then there's a full stop right there. So if you were not an employee, you own it. Even if you joined the company and they use it all the time, you still own it. Because that's the basis of copyright, is copyright recognizes who create, who's the author of that work, who created it. And that person is entitled to those rights unless they transfer it over. Oh, that is extremely well said. I love that. What else are you working on? I'm working on many, many expensive things. I'm just getting richer <laughs> and richer, Jim. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I, well, you know, I work, uh, I am uh, an intellectual popular, and I work a lot on, like, a lot of big uh, brand owners and, you know, help, like, automotive companies and banks, those kinds of things, and help them with their domestic and global uh, intellectual property strategies. That's kind of what I do. And then, as you know, on the side, I've got my radio show on airs in a few of the TSN cities, and uh, that's once a week. It's called Offside. It's Eric? a terrible, terrible show. No, I don't know about that. If you're dealing with the legal stuff, it's it's. Not, I mean, it's it's free advice is what you're providing, which is which is counterproductive to how we started this. <laughs> I'm so sick of answering landlord tenant issues. Oh, questions. yeah, yeah that, that's fun, isn't it? Eric, thanks very much. Nice to reconnect with you. You're the best, Jim. Take care, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Eric Macromella at Eric on Sports Law is the Twitter account. Coming up next, we have Rod Black. And so getting you set for Game 3 of the NBA Finals, all tied at 1, as we're all aware. And uh, Game 3, how's that going to track for us? Well, uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, pregame show, Matt Cause and I will have Dwayne Watson on uh, live from the Oracle 
uh, which is the the building that the uh, Warriors play in. And at, at some point, we'll be able to say the Oracle has spoken for the last time because that building is going to close. That building was constructed uh, way back in the mid to late not late sixties, mid sixties, and it was the original home of the Oakland Seals when the NHL went from six to twelve teams. I know that's way, way, way back there, but that's right around the time the Leafs won their last Stanley Cup. And uh, obviously, the Oakland Seals didn't last long, uh, but the the Warriors have, have been there all that time, and, and so the building is going to. It's not going to be condemned. It's going to be ripped down, and they're going to move to San Francisco to play next year, starting next year. So game three tomorrow night, pregame 7 o'clock, uh, tip just after 9, postgame following as well, and all kinds of coverage today and tomorrow, wall-to-wall coverage throughout the NBA Finals. In fact, this show is on until the NBA season is over in the 10 to noon spot. Uh, Matt Cause will have more later on following Leafs lunch. Andy is here at, at noon. And, of course, uh, Brian Hayes, who got optimistic yesterday. I like that. He said he didn't. Uh, he, he normally is pessimistic, and, and why wouldn't you be around here with, with the teams and, and the disappointment? But I, I would totally concur with what uh, Brian had to say. Uh, the Raptors uh, have been handed an opportunity here. Opportunity knocks, and you have to answer the door. I mean, the, the Warriors, I think it's been uh, detailed by many people. The Warriors are not what they once were. That doesn't mean they're still not a great team. They are, and you have to earn it. Nobody's going to give you anything. But there is, a, I think there's a, a crack there that the, the, the Raptors could exploit, and that's why you would look at Game 2 as a missed opportunity. But having said that, if you're still tied at 2 after 4, or I don't know if you could have a 3-1 lead. I don't know if any, either one of them has a 3-1 lead. If you're tied at 2 after 4 and you reduce it to a best 2 out of 3 with 2 out of those 3 on home court, that, that looks a lot more optimistic than anybody could have predicted about a week ago. So coming up next more on that with Rod Black, the TSN Raptors host. You're listening to Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Raptors Shootaround, top of the hour. The long-awaited debut of Yes Guy, No Guy on this particular broadcast. Never been done before. Arad is, uh, I mean, he's pacing around, he's nervous. I, I don't know if it's going to pull it off, but we'll see. Let's bring in the host of Raptors basketball on TSN, Rod Black. Rod, how are you this morning? Yes, guy. Yes, California. Yes, California guy. Yeah. You know what? I've often often thought, and you're in San Francisco now, right? Yes, sir. The uh, ultimate test would be to buy. Sorry. Sorry. Yes, guy. Okay. The the ultimate test would be, for fun, would be to buy a standard transmission car and drive it in San Francisco. Good luck. Uh, yeah, that ain't, that, <laughs> I ain't going there. <laughs> I, I, that would have virtually no chance of survival at yeah. all. I need a new clutch. You know, you've only had it for a block. <laughs> yeah, I, I, how many standard transmission cars are there anymore, period? I think there are some, but not very yeah. many. That, that used no, to be the big many. option. And automatic <laughs> transmission, too. Yeah, right. Oh, yes, yes. That's a, <laughs> that was a big one when I went on my 17th birthday. Oh, yeah, look at that. Automatic. Yeah. Rack and pinion steering, automatic transmission. What else do you need? Seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they were optional probably then. But anyway, yeah. um, th- this series, I mean, when you look back on it, and I, you go over and over stuff. And I, I told uh, Dwayne Watson earlier in the broadcast, I've reduced it mm-hmm. to, a, to an 18-0 run against a team that had won five straight and played a good first half, and they were due for a letdown, and that was it. So I've tried to minimize that 18-0 run. Uh, but having said that, we all understand that Golden State can do that to you, but but the Raptors allowed it to happen. How do you sort of uh, categorize or, or look back over the, the first two games? Yeah, Jim, or I, I look at it almost the same way. I, and, and I actually look at it kind of uh, as a microcosm of what the Raptors have gone through the entire playoffs. I mean, it, to me, it reminded me of the Milwaukee game one in many ways. Yeah. You know, the Raptors had that game in their grasp and then went dry 
the last three and a half minutes. And it was, I watched it right in front of me. They just couldn't make a shot. And I, I know you're a professional basketball player. And it all looks so easy, right? It all looks so easy to all of us who who may have tried to play this game at one point, but we didn't play it at a professional level and didn't play it against seven foot giants who are who who can uh, you know run hundred meter sprints. I mean, it it was just very difficult. It seemed for the Raptors to just define the ocean at that time in Game One in Milwaukee, and the same thing happened in Game Two in Toronto. I also maybe categorize it something as simple as energy and, and focus, and I. I know everybody's been into the dialogue about you know the, the crowd in, in game th- game three uh, game two, but in the third quarter, you know the coming out, the, the, nobody's in the seats. But by the way, Jim, are you, you're there a lot. That happens a lot. Yeah, in Toronto, that you know that there is a design flaw, I believe, in the arena sometimes. I mean, those suites are great, and those people pay big money, and they can do whatever they want. But if you're paying that kind of money, why wouldn't you go sit in your seats? Same thing for the concessions. I think they're busy, and I think people are just couldn't get you know back into their seats in time. And I know it sounds simplistic, but teams kind of need that that jump and that boost. And next thing you know, they're coming into the building, and a team's on a twelve zero run or something like that. That's exactly what happened. And and I, and I also and I, I say it ad nauseum. I I know it's the world of the three, the three ball, but I think if you live by the three, you die by the three too. I really believe that. And, Trying to jack threes up to get back quickly, to me, it, it, it just distorts your rhythm a little bit. And if you're not hitting shots, why would you try to hit hit, hit another shot, another three? And people go, well, I'm going to hit and hit and hit until I make. By the way, Steph Curry did that. You know, and that's his, that's kind of his M.O. Yeah. But why not just take a simple two at times? You know, take that two. Take your twos. If you take your twos, you're getting back in it. You're, you know, you're preventing that kind of run. And I think you're going to see the Raptors start to do that maybe even in game three here. Because you're going to have to try to quell sometimes a tide of three balls that you're going to see from the Golden State Warriors, even without Clay Thompson, if he doesn't play, which he's listed as questionable, and I, and I don't think he is going to play. Uh, you still, they still all shoot the three ball. So, just gotta you, you got to find ways to get out of those ruts. And I, I see a different Raptor team here uh, in Game Three and in Game Four. Well, I like the road you went down there. I, I think it's a, an easy analysis to say that when the Raptors are losing or struggling, it's, uh, the reliance on the three ball has to be adjusted, and they don't seem to be able to do it. They shot uh, from outside 28.9% in Game 2. That's just not good enough, and, and uh, you know everybody understands that, that it, for the Raptors, the three ball doesn't happen all the time, but they seem to rely on it quite a bit, don't they? Yeah, they do, and you know who's, who's cold right now? Their best three-point shooter, Danny Green, and I, I think the mentality is, Okay, well, we're going to keep letting him shoot it. And I love Nick Nurse, by the way, his mentality around his, his players. And, and Nick Nurse has been a factor, and nobody really talks about it, about the belief that he has in his players and, you know, not crushing their confidence, like Fred Van Vliet, who could have been banished to the bench long ago and never seen again, or Danny Green, or Marcus Gasol, all the guys who struggled. He never changed his starting lineup. Now, Steve Kerr's changed his starting lineup, but that's a logical one because Boogie Cousins should have been there in the first place, you know, you know, weeks ago, had he been not hurt. You don't lose your starting spot because you got hurt. But, yeah, I, I, there is that sort of uh, like very gray area in basketball about, about shooting. And, I, I, again, I know they're pros. And if you go down and you watch warm-up and you watch Danny Green and Fred and Kyle and whoever it might be, you watch them hit like 20 straight threes and you go, okay, easy, easily done. Well, go and hit 20 straight threes again, though, when a guy's lunging at you or you're in the middle of the NBA Finals and a crowd is screaming at you and, you know, the lights are on and, 
uh, you know, the, the referees right there to take a look at your, that, you know, ready to blow the whistle for any time. I mean, it's just different. It's different in a game. So yeah, I think they are, I think they're, the, the three ball is contagious both ways. It, it can make you make or miss in, in a long stretch for a long time. You know, Rod, I, I keep coming back to this word opportunity, and it's uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword in a positive yeah. way. Um, the Warriors have never been this battered. Uh, the Warriors have never been this mm-hmm. weary. That doesn't mean that they're not good. They're very, very good. But the Raptors have an opportunity here, and you know, and because it's their first go at it, they're going to stumble a bit. But there is an opportunity, isn't there? Yeah, well, it, and, and let's face it. Everybody says it was a missed opportunity in Game 2. Yeah. No. No, it wasn't. It was a blown opportunity in game two. I mean, they had every, you know, there were, the Warriors had every excuse built in. And now they're going to have more excuses. And, and I will tell you, should the Golden State Warriors win at the NBA Finals, it might go down as, as one of the, the greatest wins, considering how wounded these Warriors are. I mean, you know, that not have Kevin Durant. And let's face it, people keep saying, oh, they're better without Kevin Durant. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're not better without Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is is one of the, the greatest players ever. I, I heard something the other day that I, I I also really believe in, and I think Ron Rothstein said it. And he's been around the NBA for a long time, and he said in his time, like thirty five to forty years of watching the NBA championship, no team has ever won a championship without their superstar player. Meaning that every team has a superstar player to win, and it's true. So for the Warriors to do it without Kevin Durant, I mean, I think would be remarkable. But also, you know, Jimmer speaks to the depth. I mean, they also have Steph Curry. I mean, you know, he, he still single-handedly can win you ball games, but he can't win you ball games without his, his splash brother, without Kevin Durant, without Andre Iguodala, who, who again mysteriously somehow came back. What a miracle healer he was yeah. in Game Two to be able to hit the shot. And he hadn't hit a shot in weeks at three-pointer, by the way, back to the Houston series. But I think it goes back to what I said about shooting and how infectious shooting and making can be. Also, winning is. The Warriors just believe. they got a calm about them, a, a confidence that exists only from winning championships and being in this environment before and, and maybe even being uncomfortable. And they're comfortable being uncomfortable. But I do believe this opportunity sits in front of the Raptors. And, and I, what I will hate is, you know, should they win? And I do believe, I still believe the Raptors can win the NBA title. There is no doubt. That, that somebody's going to go, well, the Warriors were hurt. Yeah, the Warriors were hurt, but you got to go and seize it. And, and I think in your back of your mind, too, the mental part of this game it exists that, you know, you say, oh, well, and it goes back to when you were a kid playing a sport. You go, hey, that, that other guy isn't playing. Oh, we got this. You know, we got this. You got to get through that. We got this thing. You got to go play your game. Yeah, or to, to steal somebody else's phrase, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, <laughs> what was that guy? Uh, some guy with a uh, bald-headed guy with a tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and by the way, th- I mean, we talked about this earlier. 10.6 million people in Canada watched all or part of Game 2. Uh, average audience of 4.3 million viewers, and that goes with TSN, CTV2, and RDS. I mean, those numbers are just off the chart. Yeah, they're Olympic numbers. It's like the Olympics. And it goes to show you that you know, maybe... How, how far, and I don't have to tell you this, you've been here since, since for a long time. You've seen the, the growth of this team since day one as well. Um, you know, basketball's grown in this country, and it's the, the audience I always maintain has existed. But you just have to get good, and you have to get a chance to win, and that's the other thing. 
we love to be, you know, a front line and we, we like to win. And it's just like the Olympics. It's in very, so many ways it's like the Olympics. These numbers are huge. And by the way, they're going to get bigger as this series goes along. So it's great to see so many people across Canada. Again, my, my biggest thing is that so many kids are getting a chance to see it, even though the games are a little later. An opportunity to watch something in their lifetime they've never seen. And it reminds me so much of 1992. And yeah. more 1992 because it was a first time for everybody in Canada watching the Blue Jays. And, you know, hey, we're validated in the States, yada, yada, whatever. But we got a chance to win a championship. And it's been a long time. And, by the way, it's been a long time in Canada. We talked Toronto. A Canadian team hasn't won you know, a Stanley Cup since 1993. So we're going back a long, long time to, to win in one of the big four sports. I know there have been great cups and all those other sports, but we haven't won in, in the in the big four. And, and this is a real opportunity in front of a huge audience in front. Of, and it's great to see so many Canadians watching and enjoying it and, 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 and being along for the ride. So like any Raptor loss, we would counter the analysis with they have to shoot better, uh, be a little more selective, and, and also need more from everybody not named Kawhi. And that would apply after game two, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You need more. You need to move the ball more, too. Like, and I know that sounds simplistic, but and I would, you know, it's very easy to, easy to criticize and observe, you know, as, as people who are just watching, but that's what we all do. I mean, that's what we do get paid to do. And I would even suggest down the stretch that even Kawhi's got to move the ball a little more. I mean, we got into, you know, there's Kawhi time. You know, that fourth quarter, give him the ball, watch him work. It's kind of like the guy we just talked about, Michael Jordan, you know, just do it thing. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes, you know, when Kawhi gets ball centric and, and you get into, into a little bit of hero ball and you want him to go say, here, Kawhi, go do this. Well, guess what? They're, they're pros. They're going to trap and they're, they're, they play good defense too. And unfortunately, the ball's not moving. The ball has to move to get shots, open shots. The ball has to move a lot. The drive, the kick and the swing, when the Raptors are driving, kicking, and swinging to an open man, they are as good as anybody in the NBA. And that's what they did in the previous series. That's why they won four straight against Milwaukee. And they've got to do it here, too. So, yeah, you've got to move the ball. You've got to make your shots. You've got, you got to give it to Kawhi time at the right time during those runs. And, hey, let's, let's face it, the bottom line, you, can't, you have to avoid the double-digit run. Those might have worked against other teams in the NBA. Jimmy, like you know, you, you they might have worked during the regular season. It's not the regular season. Season, this is the Golden State Warriors. You know, you have you've got to make sure that you you cut into those double digit deficits if you have one smartly and accurately and and without trying to jam the three ball in somebody's face all the time because that becomes an eighteen point deficit or a fifteen point deficit. Similarly, you have to play with the lead smartly. You know, the Raptors had a twelve point lead in, in game two. Play with that lead. You got to. You got to almost build that lead and then hang on for dear life. Yeah, a twelve point lead turns into a thirteen point deficit. That's a that's a major sway. You know, I, 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 I nobody's seen that, right? That's, yeah, that, that's pretty volatile. I, I have to yeah. say that the one game that I absolutely had total fear for when the series started would have been Game Three, just because it would have been the Warriors going home and you know that that place, the Oracle, is is tough for anybody, especially in an NBA final. But I don't feel that way now. How about you? No, I still, I, again, I'm, I'm going by eye test and, and what we've seen all season, and I'm going by the fact that the Raptors are legit. They are legit, and, and not that they nobody would ever say that, but I think there's always been this kind of underlying thing 
with Raptor fans is that, oh, hey, yeah, that's good enough. Oh, right, we got, we got to the Eastern Conference semifinals. Hey, what a great season. You know, we got to the NBA finals. It was almost like we celebrated, you know, people are celebrating. Hey, oh, yeah, that's a great accomplishment. No, it's not a great accomplishment. I mean, it's good. You get a nice banner. You want to win the NBA title. You want to win the championship, and that's how, what has to happen. And you have to do that uh, with belief. And going into Golden State in previous you know, occasions, like even the regular season, I don't think that belief existed. You, you might say, oh, well, we'll hang with, uh, and you're better, you know, even with Clay Thompson in the lineup, I do believe the Raptors are a better team. You just got to be smart about it. And this, you're right, this building here, the two fan bases are ridiculously better than anybody's other team in the NBA. Golden State is, is Oracle Arena is nuts. Uh, Scotiabank Arena is nuts, uh, including Jurassic Park. But these, but here's the thing: is these people are nuts, and they have won the championship. You think it would be like, you know, old hat to them, but it's not. It's not. They they win. They love it. They've got a great team here. But Game Three is so important. Uh, I just if you if you lose this one, if you're the Raptors tonight, it's going to be very difficult, very nervous, and a lot of pressure to win in Game Four. I, I, you know, you, you came here to do what Golden State did. You came to Toronto to get a split, and that's the goal. And I think it starts, you know, tomorrow night in Game Three. Rod, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Yes, guy. Yes, guy. Oh, okay, always th- for you, Jimmer. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy it. I will. Thanks, Rod Black, TSN Raptors host, among other things. Of course, did a CFL game uh, on the weekend as well, and uh, you know his resume. He's all over the place. This is Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, TSN 1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps.